And before we go, we look into the word. Let's bow our hearts, our minds, our heads. Just a minute before the Lord. Saying, Father, I came into your house. You became flesh, dwelt among us. Now you are seated on the right hand side of the Father. Your word says you are forever making intercession for the saints. Your word says you are the high priest of our confession. You are the living word. So Father, we pray even this morning, Jesus, that you would speak to us. You would speak to us, O Lord. For you alone have the words of life. When every way in which you spoke in history past failed, you came, became man to speak to us. And we just read in the morning, if you hadn't come and if you hadn't spoken, we would all be just dead men and women walking. But you came, you spoke, and you will still speak. So we just surrender this time into thy hands, O shepherd of our souls, speak to us. To the young and to the old, even to the babies, John the Baptist in his mother's womb could recognize that you were there. the oldest to the youngest, speak to us, Lord. Speak to us. Strengthen us. Comfort us. Heal us. Chastise us. Shake us. Do what your word alone can do. For your word is the balm of Gilead. Yet your word is a hammer. Your word is a fire shut in the bones. Yes, your word is the launderer's soap and the refining fire. Just do your work, Lord. We just sit and wait at your feet. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We go to the first verse for today is from Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. There are three seats here. If anybody thinks you are three wise men, seats are left vacant for you here. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's think for a minute. The most incredible, momentous event in human history. God becoming man. God's son coming to be with us. And all God gives is one line in his entire scripture. About the birth of his son. Just one line. The rest are all prophecies pointing to his coming. Actual birth, 
I've seen some of your parents, your albums. <laughs> oh boy, it's a memories, right? When it comes to God, just one line. The most unspectacular entry ever. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for him in the inn. This is the culmination, the actual physical culmination of a story that had started roughly nine months earlier. A story that began nine months earlier. And Luke records it this way. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Now, in the sixth month, okay, sixth month, that's after John was conceived, sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. You go back to the first verses. <clears throat> now all the young people sitting over here who work, and those who will one day work, apply for a job. Remember the last time you applied for a job? Your resume? All your personal data. And at the end of it, either in the paper or in the interview, there would be this very incredible question. What makes you uniquely qualified for this job? That's where we move from fact to fiction. What makes you uniquely qualified for this job, for this position? Because you see, when you go there and you're sitting before your interview board, the employer automatically assumes your availability. What they want to know is two things. One, your ability. And two, your liabilities. They, they, they're not... Questioning your availability. That's why you're sitting over there. They want to know two things. One, your abilities. Two, your liabilities. Mary was probably a teenager. The Jewish, all cultures. Girls married very young, old days. Even today, in the rural India. She probably was a teenager. So young. Because some of you think you are too young to be used by God. But apparently God didn't think she was too young. Remember what God told Jeremiah, all those who have heard that message, don't say you are too young. So God didn't think she was too young. The Christmas story is very interesting. Very interesting. It is connected six months apart with two couples. One couple, too old. Another couple, too young. The two categories we say, you're not ready. Right? Two categories. But Zachariah and Elizabeth, too old. 
Joseph and Mary probably two. But God didn't look at that. Okay? Because that's how the world dismisses people, but not God. If you read the account 40 days after his birth, there is a nugget of truth over there in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. Now when the days of a purification according to the law of Moses, were completed. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay. If you know the law, this particular sub-clause of the law, section B, this is section B, is for the poor, for the very poor who cannot afford a lamb. A pair of two. So you see, she was very poor. It was not a liability for God that she was young and poor. That's not a liability for her. See, God doesn't think the way man thinks. If you apply for a visa to travel, in one of the columns they will want to know what's your income. And if you are poor, they don't give you a visa. They don't give you a visa. Okay. So she was young. She was poor. And if you go to chapter 1 and verse 26. Yeah, not 2.26, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. We will hear the testimony 30 years later from a man who had no guile in his heart. In John 1 and verse 26, what he actually, because he's not, he's not a bad man, he's a good man, testified by Jesus. This is what he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Get anything? So that's a place which is not associated with good people. These are people with no reputation or they have a reputation but it is a bad reputation. So she has, she's young, she's poor, she's, comes from a place which has no reputation. Technically if you apply for a job in this world, you are a liability. Young, poor, no name. But one qualification in God's eyes, what is that? She was available. She's available. She was exactly what God was looking for. She was exactly what God was looking for. Because through the Apostle Paul, God would reveal a facet of his nature in Philippians chapter 2. Let this be, this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of the God of all reputation, 
made himself of no reputation. So the first step to make himself of no reputation, he needed a girl with no reputation. That was his first step. That was his first step. He was looking for somebody. Looking for somebody. She was a nobody in the world's eye. And he became a nobody by being born first in her womb. The first thing I have to say in the official calendar-wise Christmas morning is don't limit yourself by looking at your background that God cannot use you. Don't limit God. Of all, 2,000 years ago, of all the daughters of kings and lords and nobility and of the rich and the famous, God chose a poor young girl from a town which had no reputation to be the mother of his son. The reason? Primary reason? Because she fit in, other than the character quality, she fit in with a particular prophecy in the word of God. It is given in Luke 1 and verse 27. To a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. One thing alone qualified them both. Other than their character. Character is important. It is mentioned about their character. But other than that, one thing was important. What is that? They fulfilled scripture. They both belong to the house of David. That was his word. So everyone sitting over here. Do you know? Everyone sitting here can fulfill prophecy. We not we may not be born, we not may not, we are not born of the house of David. But there is a word that we all can fulfill. In Isaiah 57 and verse 15, this is what God says. Yeah, please follow fast. Okay, Isaiah 57 verse 15. For thus, oh, not that. Uh, yes. This is what he says. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. He says, I God who inhabit eternity also inhabits certain kinds of hearts which are humble and contrite. See, even this morning, that's all God looks for. He looks for humble and contrite, broken hearts. And that's what the Christmas promise is all about. The second promise, you shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. You see, Mary fit Emmanuel's requirement. She was humble and contrite. Now listen to the angels speaking in chapter 1 and verse 28. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. The address is 
not the Lord will be with you. The address, the Lord is with you. You know, today God can look at all of us who are saved can say, God is with you. If God is with us, we are highly favored. If God is with us, what made her highly favored? Because God is with her. If God is with us, you know, suddenly everything changes in the spiritual realm. You are highly favored. And verse 29 says, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Zachariah was troubled at seeing him. She was not troubled at seeing him. She was troubled at his words. That means she knows scripture very well. Every time in Jewish history, when God came and said, highly favored to somebody, that meant trouble is beginning. She knew her scripture well. And was thinking, what man greeting was this? And the next words is verse 30 onwards. Most unbelievable words. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be? How can this be? The most unbelievable words this young girl was hearing. And a promise. Christmas season, that's what pastors do. They, I mean, two of the most difficult preaching things for a pastor is one is, uh, two or three, one is Christmas. Because how do you, because people expect new things. Then, Resurrection Sunday. Then weddings. That's when we are entirely dependent upon God to give us something new from what is old. Christ was born 2000 years ago. You know, that's history. Is Christ born in you is the question. That's called salvation. And every promise in the Bible is about the Christ in you or me. So what Gabriel is telling Mary is personal for everyone sitting here that Christ can be born in you. And in Colossians 1 and verse 27, Paul will talk to those in whom Christ has been born and he says, To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is... Christ in you, the hope of your glory. The Christmas story has been repeated a zillion times over and over and over in the last 2000 years. Christ born in so many lives. Know what salvation is? 
Salvation is Christ born in you and me. How is that possible? It's a question Mary asks, no? That's a question we all had, no? How is it possible? God born in me? Though you know it is true. Though you don't know how it happened. You still cannot explain it. And in verse 10, 35, he explains. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you therefore. Also the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You know what happened with Mary in the actual physical form because he had to come in the physical form. Nothing different from what happened to everyone who is saved here in the spiritual form. This is what Jesus told Nicodemus. And Nicodemus couldn't understand it in John chapter 3. Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the... That's what he told her. Spirit of God will overshadow you and what is born of you shall be called the Son of God. Now that Son of God is telling Nicodemus, this is going to be repeated over and over and over and over again. He shall be born. For what is born of flesh is flesh. What is born of spirit is spirit. And John explains it better in the gospel through the Holy Spirit. In John 1, 1 scripture says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And in 1.14 scripture says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Then James turns around and says in James 1 and verse 18, Of his own will he brought us forth. Because what is born of flesh, scripture will say in John, is born of the will of man. What is born of spirit is born of the will of God. Out of his own will he brought us forth. How? By the same word. By the same word. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. It is the same word which birthed Christ in us. By the word of truth. If Christ was the firstborn, we are the first fruits. First Peter, Peter will explain this in First Peter 1 and 23. Having been born again, not of the corruptible seed, but the incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now here, the word is called seed. Hindi say beej. And everybody here who knows, to have a baby, it takes... One seed to go and fertilize with the egg. One seed. One. To have that baby. Like I was on the pastor's conference three days, four days back, I was saying that in that, in that intimate process, there are millions and zillions of seed going forth, but one becomes life. That's why 24, 7, 365 days around the world through every media possible, the word of God, which is the seed of God, is being preached that one will click into somebody's spirit and you are born again. It has to be. 
Because as real as the other is. One day when history is over, and you look back at the 2000 year history of this world, and you will see investments made in terms of money, we will finally find the greatest investment ever made in human history was for the salvation of men, the preaching of the gospel. Because it is the word of God, it is the seed, the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. All three apostles over there, James, Peter and John, say the same thing. In 1 John, scripture says, whoever has been born of God does not see it. For why? For his seed remains in him. The word of God is the seed of God. And he cannot sin because he is born of, who was Jesus born of? Of God. Who are you, everyone sitting here, saved, born of? Born again of God. So the question is not whether Christ was born 2000 years ago. But whether you have experienced your personal Christmas. You see, your personal Christmas may not be on December 25th. Mine, I remember very clearly, was on October 22 in 1984. My Christmas was a different date. Each one of you will be a different date. I remember. So the title of today's message is Christmas 365. Every day, even when we are preaching here, somebody, somebody is being born again. Every hour, every passing moment, God's spirit is birthing children. All he asks men and women to do is speak my word. The power is in my word. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Just like Mary, you just have to believe and just release and see what God will do. That's why I said the word is preached 24-7. In Isaiah 55, verse 11, God says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The greatest thing the word of God does, even today, it's not healing, it's not deliverance, it's not prosperity, it's not all of those things. It is the birthing of sons and daughters. That's the greatest salvation. The greatest miracle of God, he continuously is birthing sons and daughters. Because his word is his seed. It's real. And all the apostles knew how real it was. Peter knew, James knew, John knew, Paul knew. Paul, a bachelor, could actually feel this in Galatians 4.19. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again. He knew what labor pains were in the spirit. For what? Until? Oh, we need to get this. This is what salvation is. Salvation is not that you are going to heaven. It's Christ who is born in you. And if Christ is born in you, go back today and read the prophecies about that Christ. Pastor Vijay preached about him last Sunday. Everything told about Christ there is true about the Christ in you. And it's not about the gospel is not about you and me. The gospel is about him. That's the same Christ who dwells in us. 
His word had come to Mary through God's messenger. That is Gabriel. And the Holy Spirit was waiting. There was only one problem. Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be? The problem is, it is not, it's impossible. It is, I don't understand. I don't understand. What is the answer? Verse 37, with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. Long time ago in another country, I met an old man, old Sardar, nice, he had taken all that off, believer. Old man. Honestly, the first time, you know the words you know so well, and I preached a billion times, not billion, I'm not that old, but these are all hyperboles, okay? Uh, I've said, no, God showed his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people, yeah? Psalm 103 and verse 7, you know? I heard it first from him. And he told me his testimony. He said he lived in Calcutta. And he was a pickpocket. And he specialized the local trains. And he says his way was this. He was good with his blade. He just cut the pocket and took it. And that was his job. He was successful in his profession. (laughs) His professional success... The beginning of the end of it was the day when he cut somebody's pocket and took it and went home. Only problem was, what was in that pocket was the New Testament. And he thought, who is this guy? What kind of a book is this this guy carrying in his pocket? He said he read, something hit him. He changed. He went to the police station, surrendered himself, Served his time, came out and became a preacher of the gospel. Until he died, he was a preacher of the gospel. Because the thing is, with God nothing is impossible. We may look at this person who is stealing and says, how can this man be saved? God said, possible with me, possible not possible with you. Who will preach to him? He says, his blade will make a way for him. Nothing is impossible with God. You have to believe this. Nothing is impossible with God. So the only thing question matters is, it's not whether you understand. Who can understand God's ways? The question is, do you believe? For from the beginning of your salvation to the end when he takes you home, only one question matters. Do you believe? Do you believe? Mary did not understand. And Gabriel did not give her a lesson about how this is going to happen. Verse 38 says, Mary said, Behold the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. That's all she said. Let it be unto me according to your word. She receives the word. Spirit comes upon it. The Christmas miracle begins. So the first question, other question God asks you over there is, Do you believe? Not that you, you understand. Now, there are a lot of people who understand scripture but don't believe. There are a lot of people who don't understand scripture but they believe. In John chapter 6 verse 
28, the crowds that followed Jesus, they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? We want to do the work of God. Jesus said, can we start with alphabets A? So this is, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he said. That's where it begins. You want the work of God? You want to do the work of God. To do the work of God, first you have to allow God to do the work in you. And it begins with believing. You have to believe. And that's what is called faith. And faith simply means, do you believe God can do it? It's not that I can testify somebody to salvation. No. I can preach somebody to heaven or hell. No. Do you believe enough just to release that word? Give a tract? Give a transpic? Preach the word? That's one of the reasons in all these years we don't have drama. Because in the beginning was the word and not drama. And we have stuck to the word, whether it is in music form or the word form. We have stuck to the word because we know the word has its own power. It has its own power. The children who sang the songs today, they may not have understood anything they sang. But one day that word is there burning in their memory. Burning in their memory. And it will come to life. Because the word has that power because the word is seed. Some seeds germinate very fast. Some seed can lay dormant for years and years and years and years and then spring to life. The word of God is a seed. So the question is, do you believe? In Matthew 9 verse 27, you have these two blind men. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to Jesus and said to, and came to him. Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Do you believe? Do you believe? In John chapter 11 verses 25 to 26, a sister grieving over the grave, over the death of her brother, two sisters and a brother. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Now this is not Mary, this is Martha. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe in this? You know what she said? Yeah, I gave you the next verse. She said to him, yes Lord, I believe. You see, I have maligned Martha. I apologize. Okay, if you can hear me. I have maligned Martha many times because he always exalt Mary, right? She sat, she listened, she heard. But you need to realize, Mary was nowhere when this incident is happening. And the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Lazarus, the power of the Holy Spirit to raise him from the dead was based on the word of this sister who said, I believe. I believe. I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you are the one who is to come into the world. I believe. So Mary worked, but she believed. So that means even when she was working and grumbling, she was still listening. Okay. So the morning, this question is, do you believe? Do you believe? That nothing is impossible with God? Because scripture is very clear, it is impossible to please God without faith. God is not impressed by anything that we do except faith. 
The only thing he, he is impressed by is faith. He's not impressed by our songs. He's impressed by the songs that are sung in faith. He's not impressed by our prayers. He's impressed by the prayers that are offered by faith. He's not impressed by our worship. He's impressed by our worship that is offered in faith. He's impressed always by faith. Meaning, oh, scriptures, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find? The only thing he's looking for is, is there anybody who believes? He's impressed. In Matthew 8 and verse 10, he was impressed when Jesus heard he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. A Roman in Israel with faith. Matthew 5, 28. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. A Canaanite woman among the Jews with great faith. Gabriel before Mary. All of heaven is waiting with bated breath. What will she say? How is this possible? I do not know, man. Gabriel gives his theology. Nothing is impossible with God. And they are like waiting. And she opens her mouth and she says, I am the Lord's born servant. Let it be unto me according to your word. And all you know is to have such a celebration. God has found faith on earth. So that the son can be birthed. They don't understand salvation plan at all. But they know as the events are unfolding. Because the cross was a mystery. Nobody knew. Okay. So the question is. Have you believed? Be cautioned. Okay. Very careful over there. When I ask you this question. Have you believed? Because James chapter 2 verse 19 says. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Sabash. But wait a Wait a minute, you are right now on par only with the demons. Mary didn't just say, I believe. She said, I am the Lord's bondservant. I surrender to what I believe. I don't understand. I don't understand. But I believe. And I surrender my life, in this case my womb, my future, my destiny, everything into the hands of the one I believe. So it is not. Because the demons believe. But they don't surrender. Let it be. What does she say? Let it be unto me. I am the Lord's. It's a wet. That's when the Christmas story. Begins in your life. I still remember. October 22. If my memory is right. 1984. When that young man who walked into my room at 11 in the night, at the end of all that he said, James, will you kneel down with me? Will you pray with me? I said, okay. I had no clue what I was getting into. And said, Lord, I surrender. Come into my life. Rest was history for me. Three months later, in a youth camp at Valley, in Tavandrum, one young man, saved for two months, sitting there in that crowd of saved people, in the campfire at night, suddenly that person who was taking the camp asked this question, how many of you want to commit your life for full-time ministry? This guy, 20, 10 years later also, he didn't know what ministry was. 
All I know is that something was happening inside. I put my hand up. Then I look around. I am the only one with the hand up. And here I am. I didn't understand. But I believed. (laughs) Okay. You don't have to understand. You have to trust this person. You have to trust this person. If you cannot trust him, you cannot trust anybody in life. (laughs) If you cannot trust him who hung on the cross. Like I said in the other Christmas meeting. If you're looking for the Christmas gift under the tree, you're looking at the wrong place. The gift of God was hung on a tree. And if you can't trust him, can't trust anybody. But if you can trust him, all things are possible. Now let's fast forward two years. Okay, but in our Christmas dramas, pageants and all, they collapsed together. It did not happen together. But let's go to Matthew chapter 2 and look at the other narrative we usually look and grew up as a Christmas story. Chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, after, if you ask me how long after, almost two years. Okay, after. Born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. A question. There is Jerusalem. They asked this question. And verse 3 says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. Are you troubled this morning by this question? Two people were troubled. They walked away from the church. Christmas is, the reaction to Christmas is not the same always. It's only in the last three years, people start boldly saying, Merry Christmas in US. They had made it into happy holidays because they didn't want Christ to be mentioned. And God had to pick <laughs> a loud mouth like him. And he fearlessly proclaims the name of Christ whom he hardly knows. People who didn't speak. Who didn't speak. They were troubled. They were all troubled. Are you troubled? Let me ask you this question. Why were they troubled by the words of the wise men? Because of two particular words that was used in those verses. What did they say? Behold, where is he who has been born king? I like this. I like English. I like grammar. They did not say born to be king. Prince Charles was born to be king. The queen, the mother, she will not get off that throne. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So he is not sure whether he or William. Now William also has, what is his son's name? I forgot. It doesn't matter. Okay. They were all born to... He was not born to be king. He was born king. Born king. God is always God. He never ceases to be God because he became man. And now that because he is God, he has never ceased to be man because he is interceding for us. So we have a high priest who sympathizes with us. Born king of the Jews. That scared them. Second, they have come to worship him. These two words startle them. And that's what startles people. He's born king. Oh, I am so happy. I am said, wait a thing. 
Are you saved? Yes. Do you know the one who is born in you? He's born king. He's born king. And do you know what he demands from you? Not a song. Not your gifts. Not your prayer. He demands worship. And such people the father seeks who shall worship him in spirit and in truth. This is somebody who is born king. And he demands your and my worship. And they were all disturbed. That's why you can believe without believing. Are you disturbed this morning? He's born king. Born to be worshipped. Lot of people are there. Who are disturbed in the world in the past 2000 years. Disturbed. From being disturbed, they move to the second stage, which you see in verse 7 and 8. And Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the young child. Remember, not baby, young child. And when they go, the mother and the father, the father is not mentioned, the second account is in the in the house and not a manger. Okay? And found him. Bring word to him that I may come and worship him also. From being disturbed, they also know he's king. From being disturbed, they become deceitful. They become deceitful. If you want to see the deceitful of worship, you just look at the debates that is happening in the political realm in U.S. Everybody in the presidential candidate uh, claims he is the true representative of Christ, including that mayor who is married to a man. So ask Vijay, you know, if he, by chance, if he becomes the president of U.S., what will you call his partner? Because if you look at the exact terminology used in his marriage, his partner is the husband. So that means he is the wife. He also says the actual gospel he believes. The speaker of the Democrats, the third most powerful person in the U.S. says, I pray every day. But you are the ones who are signing all these bills which says the baby can be killed in the womb. So what do you believe? Who do you believe in? Your bills from your party and your states are the ones who are saying even terminated at birth and even after birth. If the parents decide. But deceitful. Because they are disturbed. People are disturbed by this king. Because he demands worship. And for 2000 years you see this narrative going around. One side is true worship. The other side is who will deceive you by saying they actually worship. Actually worship. We have to ask ourselves this personal question. What's the nature of my worship? Have I deceived myself by saying I am a believer but my knee has never bent to his will? Not even once I have said, come Lord, I surrender, take over my life. I truly have in worship. 
These are all in the part of the story, the Christmas story. I didn't invent this. It's part of the Christmas story, two narratives. From disturbed to deception. From deception to verse 16. And Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all the districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Disturbed, deceived, and destruction. Do you see? Do you know why they are so destructive? Because the Magi, the wise men, did not say, we have come from the east to throw a party. That's what Christmas is for most people. We have come from east to sing jingle bells, jingle bells. We have come from the east with a few gifts. We're giving our gifts and going back. They didn't say any of those things. They said, we have come to see he who is born king of Jews. And to worship him. Ultimately, our worship will define whether Christ is living in us or not. So the Christmas story has so many shadows in it. So many. A young girl. Young girl. Looking at absolute rejection, shame, ignominy, death. And she's saying... Let it be unto me according to your word. I am the Lord's handmaiden. The entire law and its consequences for an unmarried girl becoming pregnant is flashing before her eyes. But still let it be according to your word. A young man who is heartbroken, righteous man, when he hears his young girl who is betrothed to him is pregnant, is being righteous, past planning to put her away quietly, sees a dream. Boy, he must be unbelievably righteous that God doesn't have to send an angel. All a dream is enough. That child is mine. Take her. Yes, Lord. You know, both worshipped. I've always thought and asked this question, young men, how many of you would ever believe a dream like that? Boy, Jesus, God the Father, picked, boy, picked the right couple to parent his son. And he didn't find them in any city. He didn't find them in any university. He didn't find them in any palace. He found them in a, in the backwoods, as we say in English. Another term I will give you in a one horse town called Nazareth. And there was another set of people there at the same time in Matthew chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. But he answered and said, it is written. Okay, he calls the scribes, the priests, the learned, all those learned scholars. Oh, I'm sorry, two, 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 two. I always confuse that last Thursday, Saturday also. Matthew 2. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, 
They didn't even need to flick scripture. Bethlehem. If you asked him, reference, Micah 5.2, right? I don't know, they knew. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, not only they knew the reference, they could quote it. In the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Wow, kya baat hai. This group had all the facts. And in this group today, today, modern day, fast forward to 21st century, if you go there, you will see the star outside their house too. But if you read the narrative very carefully, they dismiss the fact. One was disturbed, deceived and turned destructive. They were disturbed but dismissed it. They knew who he was. He is the Christ. They knew where he was to be born if you look at verse 5. Bethlehem. The question is, where the Christ? Immediate answer, Bethlehem. And verse 6 is interesting. They even know why he is born. To rule and to shepherd. They knew that too. They know why he is born. To rule and to shepherd. They had all the facts at their fingertips. Who is he? Where is he to be born? What is he born for? But they dismissed the fact. How do you know? Because the distance from Jerusalem to Bethlehem is only six miles. An average man can cross that distance in less than two hours. And nobody moved their feet. Where has faith taken you? Where has the knowledge about God taken you and me in these past 12 years, 12 months? We know who he is. We know what he has come for. They dismissed that fact. Six miles. And these are a set of people and their forefathers for time immemorial has been waiting for this moment. They dismissed the fact. Indifferent. Nothing has changed in history. Because in less than a week's time, or less than a week's after January the 1st, in millions and millions and millions and millions of homes around the world, the decorations will be put away. The star will be taken, folded, and put away for next year. And they will revert back to their usual life. The Jews went back to their synagogues and listened to the rabbis preach. The Christians go back to their churches and listen to their pastors, priests preach. But Christ, the fact that he was born didn't make any difference to their life. But somewhere hidden from all of them, Christ was growing. Somewhere hidden from the eyes of everybody, there is Christ in the lives of people who is growing 
and taking over your lives. Because the Isaiah prophecy has to be personal. The government is upon his shoulders and the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Has he taken over? More than last Christmas? That's when Christmas is true. His kingdom is growing whether we like it or not. In Isaiah 9 and verse 7, that is the increase of his government. And peace, there is no end. It's happening around the world. And no power on earth can stop it. And every power that tried to do it for the past thousand, two thousand years have failed. Do you know how the narrative begins in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 3? And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. All went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Caesar Augustus, the greatest of the Caesars. 41 years he ruled the Roman Empire. And it is from him the term is coined, Pax Romana. The Roman legions marched through the Nen world and brought the order of Rome. That's from where you have all these terms in English, all roads lead to Rome. Because they were the ones first to bring the stone paved highways and every highway actually led to Rome. And the rule of Rome was so powerful. Augustus Caesar. And Quirinius, the governor of Syria. Please wait. Put your thinking cap, put your faith cap down for a minute and put your thinking cap on. And then put the faith cap on top, okay? This is not the age of today's communication systems. This is 2000 years ago. The fastest mode of communication is horseback. And Rome to many places Mail went by ship. So when Augustus Caesar is using, sending this decree forth, it doesn't mean January 1st, 2019, the decree went and January 2nd, the, it started. No. It could have been a few years earlier. Later. Because the word has to pass from province to province to province, from province to town, town to village, village to hamlet, and reaches Nazareth. Here, oh here, thus says Caesar, King of kings and lord of lords of the Roman Empire. Every citizen is asked to go to the village for the census. Did Caesar know God? No. God knew Caesar. Did Quirinius know God? No. God knew Caesar. And then you have this one term, one words in chapter, verse 3. So all, verse 3. All went. All went. Who can understand the ways of God? If you look at the entire Roman Empire starting from Britain onwards all the way to probably modern day Turkey spread around. Millions upon millions of people all moving around. Why? The emperor's hukum agaya hai. Census. All moving. For what? Why did he want a census? 
His reason was different. The actual reason was different because the heart of the king is in the hand of our God. The time has come. In the fullness of time, Christ would be born of a woman and God sent millions of people, millions upon millions of people to move around the whole Roman Empire to see one couple would reach Bethlehem. Do you know anybody's name? Scripture 3 says, all went to be registered to his own city. And then verse 4 says, only two names matter in that millions. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of him. Only one man mattered. You can't explain God. To get two people from point A to point B, he may change the whole thing. Mary was willing to risk her name and life for Jesus. And Joseph was willing to risk his name and life for Jesus. So we know their names. So please remember, maybe behind every census, God is doing something. Don't worry about NRC. I was telling yesterday, you know, I don't know to whom I was saying, people like us, you know, from South India. We are the southernmost India, Kerala. We are never worried about South NRC because where else can we come from? Because we move a little more, we will fall into the ocean. We have no question about doubts about our ancestry. The further north you go, you will wonder where I came from. We have no such problems. But even if you have problems, don't worry. Our citizenship is of heaven. So we need to understand God's purpose is being fulfilled by those who do not know him. And also by those who knew him and surrendered their will to his will. And so Christmas is Christ's birthday. Whenever that day was, God became flesh. I, I actually like this government for one thing, because they want to make uh, they have already said, I think, December 25th is also Vajpayee's birthday and they wanted to make good government. <sighs> I love it because government is upon his shoulder. Either way, you can't escape the government. Okay. <laughs> Christmas is Christ's birthday. When Christ came in the flesh. Now to all the believers sitting over here, I didn't give it to their 2 Corinthians 5.16. This is the great apostle, Paul. Unbelievable statement. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. That's why I said Christmas is not about Christ being born. Christmas, the question is, is Christ born in you? Second question, has he grown in you? He says, we knew Christ in the flesh, but we don't want to know him in the flesh. In other words, he's saying, put away your Christmas trees. He's not a baby anymore. He's not sitting in a manger anymore. Sitting on the throne. And he's got a name above every other name. And he's coming back for a set of people who know it and are preparing for him. We don't want to know him in the flesh. Do you want to know him in the flesh? He says, we want to know him only in the spirit. 
You want to regard him in the spirit. In John chapter 4 and verse 24 scripture says, 424 scripture says, God is spirit. And you and I are born in the spirit. And we must worship him in spirit and truth. That's why the entire service is for the spirit and for the flesh we have lunch. So please read the Christmas story once again differently. Has Christ been born in me? That's a fundamental question. Has Christ been born in me? That's a spiritual thing. That's not a thing of the flesh. You can have the manger and the stable, which is not there in the Bible. It only talks about the manger. It doesn't talk about the stable. You have the donkey, the ox. It is not there in the Bible. We created it. We have three wise men. It doesn't say in the Bible. All those things. Only thing there is star and the manger. Why the manger? See, God does things, he never does things randomly. When you read scripture, you will know there is a purpose behind. Mary brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped up in swatting clothes and put him in a manger. It could have been many things. Put him on the floor. Doesn't make any difference to us. Doesn't make a difference to us? No. Put him on a chair. Doesn't make any difference to us? No. Put him on a desk. Okay, put it, kept her, kept it on the lap. None of these things would make a difference to us. But to the only set of people to whom this proclamation is going to be made, they are only given one sign to the shepherds. Go to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem. The baby is born. And this is the sign given to you. It's a manger. And every shepherd knows what a manger is. Every shepherd's daily life is yoked to the manger where he feeds his animals. And he knows what a manger is. It was a sign to them, not a sign to us. You hear funny stories of 21st century children, manger, manger, googling what is manger and finally ending up with, oh, Christ was born in Holiday Inn and that was the manager who gave the room. Because manger they don't know, manager they know. It's a sign for them. Has Christ been born in me? And he's not on the manger. Second question, Luke chapter 2 verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. The question all of us have to ask, how much has Christ grown in me? I didn't give Galatians 2.20, which I... That's the question you have to ask. Because you know the problem is we have changed the gospel. The gospel today is about you and me and not about Christ in us. Five ways to succeed, three ways to get healed, prosperity, house, car, name it, claim it and shame it. It's never been about, the gospel was about Christ and every message was aimed at Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Here is a man who understood this gospel. And Christ was burst in him. And he allowing Christ to grow in stature and wisdom. Growing, growing, growing. To a point he comes and says, you know what? I am dead. He is alive. I am gone. Finished. I have decreased, 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 decreased. He has increased, 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 increased. And, but Christ lives in me. That is Christmas. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. This is the actual fulfillment of the Christmas story. 
Christ growing. It is not enough, enough to believe for Christ to be born in our lives. Christ has to keep growing and ultimately take over until he is all in all. Remember the other message? It's not the shadow. It's a substance. The word became flesh, yes. This Christmas asked this question, how much does the word, the living word, Christ, define my thinking, my feelings, my actions? If Christ has come, has Christ grown? Do you know a baby changes everything? If you look over there, Avinash is sitting over there. But if you had seen a few months ago, that was not Avinash's seat. It was Srikanth's seat. And we don't see Srikanth. Srikanth is to sit there next to him. Sapna is to sit. Now Srikanth is not to be seen. What happened? Have you backslidden? No. Do you pray? Yes. Do you worship? Yes. Do you come to church? Yes. But why are you not seen? Because a baby came. Only parents know when the baby comes. Everything changes. The mothers, when the baby is conceived, they know everything has changed. And fathers, when the baby is born, they know everything has changed. The question is, 2000 years ago, a baby was born in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem. And after that, everything changed. And when that baby is actually born into your and my life, everything changes. And people won't understand you. Everything changed. Your priorities change in life. How you spend your time changes. Because time is the only thing common about all of us. 24 hours a day. You will see men in like suit, stiff, very powerful men. They go out to work. They come back. Everybody says, yes sir, yes sir, three blacks. Full sir. But when they come home and the door is open, the little fellow is over there. The man puts his suit and he's crawling. With the baby. What changed you? That baby now defines your life. My question to you is, has Christ changed you that he defines your life, your time and your priorities? Because this is not a baby that was just born. He was born king. He was not born in you so that you could send him to school and get an education. He came to shepherd you. That is why unto us the son is given and he is the everlasting father. You may think you are the father. No, he is your father. Some so-called wise man said the child is the father of man. I will tell you that is true about only one child in history. That child is Jesus Christ. That child is the father of man because he's also his name is everlasting father. Has it changed? Radically changed? I know how children changed my life. My children changed my life. Completely when they were born. Absolutely, totally. It's radically changed my life. Because that's what a baby does. It doesn't matter what you wear, how tired you were. You come back after a meeting at 12 in the night and then you come and you're quietly opening the gate and you see one. Little curtain by that little night window open and suddenly down. And you know the child is up. And you go to sit to eat your dinner and a little patter of feet. Come. And there's a giant sitting over there. There is a giant sitting over there. I used to open that latch with, see that, a little click also. 
as gently. One little click. Click. 12.30 in the morning. Click. And I can hear. I think Papu has come. <laughs> and before you know, there he is. Sit on the table. And watch me eat. Change your life. My question to you is, has Christ changed our life? Has he changed our life? He hasn't changed our life. Something wrong with our Christmas. Christmas really hasn't come into our life. Christ hasn't really grown and taken over. I could go on and on and on and on for the rest of the day. How Christ changes lives. You just look at Christ's record in the Gospels and then take that Christ and apply the truth spiritually. I don't know, who did I say to? Deepika? Yeah, it was to Deepika when we were coming back from church. Deepika was sitting next to me, so I was explaining law and truth to Deepika. So when you come down the line on the roads, you see the traffic light. Red, orange, green. Red say, stop. Orange says, Slow down. Green says, stop. What is that? The law. It doesn't matter whether you are early or late. The law says, stop. And if you are late, you are... (coughs) And if there is no cop or camera, cut through. That's the law. But behind every law, there is a truth. God never said the law will set you free. He said the law cannot set you free. He keeps you in bondage. He says the truth sets you free. Behind the law is the truth. The truth sets you free. What is the truth? If you cut through a red light, you could kill somebody, you could get killed. You could injure yourself. Your body is the temple of the living God. This is one thing he has given you in this life to serve him to the uttermost till your last breath. Don't injure it and don't injure somebody. Don't die before your time. Don't kill somebody. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor with yourself. This is the law of the traffic light. The minute you understand that truth, no problem. Six fellows are cutting through, another fellow is cutting through, you will wait. That fellow is honking. Why? The truth has set you free. Unless you see the truth behind everything that God says, because God is looking for a set of people who will worship him in spirit and in truth, that sets you free. So you look at Jesus' narration of Jesus' life, very little is given, and you look at into that, and then look into the Jesus into you and say, Lord, let me apply this spiritually and say, Lord, has this happened in my life? Scripture says Jesus was born, and the first thing that happens is born, as he's about to be born and coming out, he hears the sound in the inn. No room, no room, no room, bahar chalo, no room, bahar chalo. And the question God asks is, how much room did you make for me this year? How much room did you make me for me this year? Did you put me outside where I wouldn't disturb your life that you were a Christian when you came back to home or to church and the rest of the time you said, please, no room. Let me put my secular cap on because so that I offend nobody. No room? That's how his history begins with man. No room. We don't realize all of us are guilty of that. No room. So many times this year. No room. Without realizing That's exactly what you are. And I also said, no room. 
Then scripture says on the eighth day they brought him to be presented in the temple. No, they took him to be circumcised. Eighth day. The boy has to be circumcised. That is the first sign, the first mark that the child belongs to God. A Jewish heritage. Circumcised. And the question you need to ask is what Paul said about circumcision in Romans chapter 2, 28-29. Circumcision is not the circumcision of the flesh. Circumcision is the circumcision of the heart by the spirit. Such a man's praise is from God. The second thing you need to ask is that how much have I allowed the spirit of Christ to cut away all things of flesh from me so that I look up only for praise. I'm not looking to the side or anywhere around. Lord, I want to please you. I want to please you. That you can do, go through something and have no effect on your life. Because like I keep saying, the circumcision is usually done by the local rabbi. He circumcises the male child. Eighth day, Jesus Christ is probably brought to him in the synagogue. And the rabbi circumcises him. And the blood is falling upon him. For the very first time on planet earth, the blood of God's own son falls upon the hands of a man. And it has no effect on him. Because he is just a rabbi. He is the butcher of Bethlehem. And not a man who could identify the power of that blood that would save you and me. When we follow religion, We miss God. We miss God. How much has God been able to circumcise our hearts? Christmas. That's why we are on a seven day fast. We are not doing a religion or ritual or anything. We say, Lord, show anything that is still left over from this year. We want to start clean. Take it away. Take it away, Lord. Take it away. Forty days later, he is in in the temple. And they are dedicating him. We read that portion. Holy unto the Lord. Scripture says in Romans 12. Offer yourself as holy and acceptable. Your body as holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable act of service. Did you offer ourselves? Romans 6 Paul will say. Offer the instruments. Your body as instruments of righteousness. You fall. Get up and offer it all over again. It's a continuous process. You look what happened with Jesus and you look into your life and say, Lord, I want that to happen to me and I will do it. I will get on my knees and I will say, Lord, Spirit of God, help me to go through this process so that Christ in me can grow. Because for Christ to grow in stature in me, there are certain things Christ on earth went through and I have to go through it personally. I have to experience his circumcision. I have to experience his kind of dedication. Matthew 2, verse 13 and 14. Now when they had departed, behold an angel, this after the Magi left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for the Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Do you know the systems of this world, Herod repents, the systems that govern this world is after that Christ child in you to destroy him. Have you found a safe place for the Christ in you? A safe environment. I want to be in a safe. We all are amazed by these little children who come here and sing hymns and songs and scripture like no man's business. You know why? Because the parents deliberately chose a safe environment for them. Safe home, safe church, safe school. 
Therefore, Christ is growing in them faster than us. I am amazed how they can know all this stuff in their heads. You have to read some of their notebooks about the comments they make about their daily Bible studies. And they are five, six years old. You know why? Because Christ has to be protected. The Christ in you has to be protected. Safe environment. This is the pattern in the Bible. As soon as Rebecca conceives, there are two babies in her womb. She doesn't know. They are jostling. She goes to the Lord and asks, Lord, what is happening? God says, two nations. The, they will both fight. The elder must serve the younger. As soon as younger must save the elder. And they come out without a gap. It is not the first one was born and then 10, 15 to half an hour later, the second. They came with the second fellow holding the first fellow's leg. So to differentiate between the two, they put a red band on the first one. But the second one, she knows this is the one that is chosen. Destiny, then he has to be protected, that he fulfills his destiny. Scripture says he was kept in the tent with her. And she had the baby when Isaac was 60 years old. And Isaac is 60 years old. Abraham is 160 years old. So in the tent, he has the experience of the shared spiritual heritage of both his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham, which Esau missed. And therefore Esau will sell his birthright for a portfolio of stew because he never was in a safe environment. Never in a safe environment. That's a question we ask fathers and mothers over here. Do you have a safe environment for your children? Seeing fathers barter away the, the future, eternal future of their children for a potful of stew in this world without understanding how the kingdom of God works. Mothers throwing away for a career in the world. But he was protected. He was protected. You have to protect your children. You don't protect your children. If you don't protect the Christ in you, you'll have to make very conscious, difficult decisions in life. The Christ in me is young. The Christ in me is being birthed. He needs to be nurtured. He needs to be protected. He needs to be cared for. I cannot make those choices which I made earlier. I'm going to be very, very careful about the priorities in my life and how I spent my time. Because what is in me is greater than everything in this world. The music I listen to, the music my children listen to, the books they read, the words they speak, the movies they watch, everything is going to define them. And I am going to be the doorway. I am going to decide what is going to go in and what is going to stay out. It's not easy. Mothers, I will tell you, if you understand the call of God upon the child you have birthed, you will be on your knees. You will be on your knees. Rebecca understood and she protected Jacob. Hannah understood. She was not just a praying woman. She was a wise woman. She had seen what was happening in Shiloh. So after Samuel was born, when Elkanah wanted to take him to the temple, she said, no. Please, sir, no. When he is weaned off, I will take him. He said, fine, keep him with you. 
So Samuel never went to the temple until he was weaned off. Until he was weaned off, there was only one influence in his life. It was the life of a praying mother. That's why Samuel becomes a praying man. That will bring the restoration of Israel. You know why? Because the word of God hasn't changed for anything before Christ or after Christ. Arise and run! Because the system of this world to the education systems and every other media system is after the Christ in you. Because the system knows the Christ in you is born king and is born to rule. You have to look at the Christ and say, what am I doing with thy Christ? In this coming year, 2020, if you want to have 2020 vision, clear vision, protect the Christ in you. Make real, real, expensive decisions in life. It may cost you in the temporary run. It will profit you in eternity. They may laugh at you. They will mock at you. They will do all that. doesn't matter. Because your eyes are not around. Your eyes are up. Because you are a Jew. Isn't that what Paul talks about circumcision? What does he say? Eh? Jew. What does he say? Isn't it interesting he doesn't say Israelite? A Jew is not an Israelite. No, an Israelite is not a Jew. Every Jew is an Israelite, but all Israelites are not Jews. A Jew is from the tribe of Judah alone. It's English, it is written Jew. Look in any translation, it is written Yehudi. Yehudi. That's the fourth son of Leah. Reuben, she thought her husband would come to her. Levi, she thought her husband would come to her. Simeon, her husband would come to her. Nothing is happening. But when finally she turns her eyes to God and the womb is touched the fourth time, she has Judah, which means praise. And God says he's looking for spiritual Jews who can praise. Out in the open, in the prison, like Paul and Silas, or in the office, they are true Jews. But they are discipled. They don't become like that overnight. There is a process how Christ has to grow in our lives. And he has to be protected. The Christ child in you has to be protected. One more thing I will say and we will close. Luke chapter 2 verse 43. And when he was 12, listen up, we are suddenly skipping from 40 days to 12 years. God's history of his son is interesting, right? Now we have everything in our book. First birthday, first yawning, first turning around, everything is there. Sons, God's son, nothing. Twelve years. They went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. They did not know it. See, this is the difference between the parents and the son. The parents went according to the custom for a feast. Feast is over, they went back. They forgot what is the purpose of the feast. Verse 47 or 46. Now it was found after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. They went to the temple for a feast. Once he went to the temple, he realized this is a place where I can know more about my father and grow in him. He was sitting there listening and learning. A lot of people say, how long is your word? Depends upon what you come here for. If it's a feast, you will go back. If you know this is the house of God where the word of God is preached and the Christ in you is receiving which will make him grow, you will have no issues. We don't preach outside the word. We don't preach to you. We preach to the Christ in you. 
Because if I have to preach to you, then I have to preach the law. I have to preach truth and grace to you. Christ will receive it and he will grow. He was listening and learning. He was questioning. Is a proof of learning. Ask these questions about this Christ in you. Has, has he been circumcised? Has he been dedicated? Is he learning and listening and growing suddenly 12 years old? Then one more verse. 251. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. The Christ in you is subject to God ordained authority. It doesn't matter whether they know less than you, whether they are more or less educated. All that is irrelevant. His father had no clue about him. His mother kept it all in her heart, but she couldn't even decipher anything. None of them either understood anything about really about him. But they did not change anything for him because the fact of the matter is his father has placed God ordained authorities and those two authorities over his life was his father Joseph and his mother Mary and he was subject to them. When Christ grows in you, you are subject to God's law. Are you subject? Are you subject? That's what you have to look inside and say, how much subject am I to this? How much subject am I to this? The authority of God's word. This defines my life. My thoughts, my emotions, my moods, my responses, everything. This, I'm subject to this. For Lord, you have said in Psalm 138 words, you have exalted your word above all your name. And if that is true, I exalt it too, Lord. I don't feel it, but I will do it. I don't like it. It doesn't matter what I like. I look inside and I see there is somebody who likes it. I will go by that. Because it is written, you shall be my shepherd. I am outside, you are inside, but you shepherd me, Lord. You shepherd me. This is your Christmas gift back to Jesus. Back to Jesus. Every day. 365 days. Lord, I take, give up. You take over. I give over. You take up. Because people are also asking me the next seven days, what are we going to do gathering every day? I said, worship. Worship. Primarily worship. Little teaching, little prayer, but primarily just worship. Why? Because there is a season in your life where I believe I have already heard the sound of rain. There is little to pray for now. This is the time to, by faith, start worshiping God. Joseph, Jehoshaphat had seen nothing. But God said, I have done it. And he says, you just praise and worship me. And I believe the next seven days is set apart for worship. It's going to change. Like Elijah, I believe, I've heard. I've heard. Enough. Enough. Teach, yes. Pray, yes. But the next seven days shall be defined by worship. We just praise him. We just shall worship him. And we just shall thank him. Just thank him. By faith. Then we become like Mary. Let it be unto me, according to your. See, actually, you some people make this, people who don't understand, their English is very poor, no? They, I also get greetings from people like that. Their spelling is wrong. And they send these greetings called Merry Christmas. <laughs> but that's the actual Christmas. The actual Christmas is not Merry Christmas. It's Merry Christmas. 
She's the first one to say, let it be unto me according to your word. I am the Lord's bond servant. That is a Merry Christmas. That is a Merry Christmas. So this morning, we shall stand up. We shall look to the Lord. We shall thank this Savior. Because I look back, oh Lord, if you were in there, where would I be? Where I would be in the world. Of course, in the world, prospering. Oh, I I would give all that away twice over again for what I have received. There's nothing like him. There is nothing like him. Salvation is a person. Salvation is a person. Salvation is not a theology, a doctrine you agree with, an idea you appreciate. No. Salvation is a person connected to a person. Eternal life is connected to a person. Eternal life is connected with a person. How do you know you have eternal life? Because that person has come inside and his spirit tells you, you belong to me. What does John say? He who has the Son has life. He who has the Son has life. And what Jesus say? This is eternal life. How does the Son grow? This is eternal life. That you know God. And that you know me. The Son keeps growing in you. You grow in eternal life. Life is Eternal life is not an idea. It's a person. Intimately connected to this person of Jesus Christ. And nothing can stop you or me or should stop you from me. Keep going back to him and say, Lord, you grow. This is my gift to you. You grow, Lord. You grow. You be my shepherd. You be my king. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. 25th of December. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. If you hadn't come, we can't even imagine what and where we would be. Also, Lord, if you hadn't come, if you had come, but if you hadn't personally spoken to us, we would be still lost. We not only thank you, Lord, that you came, but you also spoke to us. Through somebody maybe, but we know now it was you who spoke to us. Now we pray this Christmas day, never stop speaking to us. Never, never stop speaking to us, Lord. As Peter said, we too confess, you alone have the words of life. To who else can we go? For your words are spirit and life and truth to those who receive it. It has the power to work in those who believe. Oh, Father, changes, changes radically our thinking. Everything according to your word. Because you are the word and the word is you. For those who do not know you, I pray Father Christ would be birthed in them today. It's so simple, Lord, that they would just bend their hearts and their knees and say, Lord, I believe. I believe in your sacrifice. I believe you are my atonement. I believe only through you I receive forgiveness and remission of my sins. I believe in your work and not my works. I believe. All they have to do is to whisper. Come, Lord Jesus. 
take over my life. I bend my knee. Come Lord Jesus. You no longer have to stand at the door of my heart and knock. It's wide open Lord. All the room you want. Every inch, every corner is yours oh Lord. Help us never to tell you no room. No room. The throne in my heart is empty. Waiting for you. Come Lord Jesus. Be enthroned in our lives. And I pray Father, next Christmas season, if you tarry to come and give us all another year when we come over here, it will be absolutely, totally, radically different. For all, if not many. Radically different. It's a different set of people who will come knowing that Christ in them has grown and taken over. The worship will be different. The praise will be different. The adoration will be different. The understanding of the word will be different. The prayer life will be different. Oh, Father, help us to believe that you are able to do much and more than can we can ever imagine or think. For nothing is impossible with God. That was the first message you gave Mary. Nothing is impossible with God. We receive it into our own lives, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. As we go into the end of this year, the last six days, seven days, I plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus for every brother, every sister, every child, every family, every household represented here. The blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus. For you are the only child who was born specifically to die so that through your blood we would have life. I plead that blood over every household. Let there be salvation. Let there be protection. Let there be healing. Let there be deliverance. Let there be wholeness in lives of God. As your people go forward from this place for lunch and then to their homes, may the presence of the living Christ be real in everyone's life, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And as your children, as your sons and daughters, we open our mouths and proclaim, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen. Amen.